the Panhandle News Network. The views and opinions on this station do not necessarily represent the Panhandle News Network, WEPM and WCST, or West Virginia Radio Corporation. Here we go! Welcome to Panhandle Live on WEPM and WCST, the Panhandle News Network. Panhandle Live is brought to you by Sutton and Janelle Attorneys at Law. Visit their new location at 224 West King Street, Martinsburg, and online at suttonandjanelle.com. Here are your hosts, Jordan Nicewarner and Marsha Kabalik. It is Thursday the 19th. You are tuned into Panhandle Live, brought to you by Sutton and Janelle, full-service law firms from West Virginia and Maryland, helping individuals, families, businesses with all of their legal needs, family law, criminal defense, DUI, personal injury, mediation. They provide legal counsel tailored to you. You can visit their new historic location at 224 West King Street. You can always find them online at SuttonandJanelle.com. I'm Jordan Ice Warner. Uh, Marsha is taking uh, the day off today, so she'll be back with us uh, on Monday, I believe. But, of course, you can always listen back to any Panhandle Live episode you might miss over on our Panhandle Live Facebook page a little bit later on today. Uh, but luckily, I'm not flying completely solo because joining me in studio is uh, local author and historian Bob O'Connor. How are you doing this morning? I'm good, Jordan. Good. Uh, thanks for having me. Absolutely. I appreciate you coming in. We'll try to make it through. I know. I was, what I was saying yesterday, trying to make uh, compelling radio without my, <laughs> my sidekick, Marsha, with me today. But uh, we were talking a little bit uh, this morning while you were out in the green room, if you will, and uh, one of the big topics you want to talk about today are two of the major, I guess, contributing factors to why this area is really as big and as uh, populated as it is, and it's the railroads and the uh, waterways, the rivers in the area. So uh, I guess my first question is, why were they so important important, uh, to this area? Well, first first of all, the, the let's talk about the river. The river um, was a, a problem with navigation because of all the rocks and everything in it. Still, mm-hmm. problem today. In fact, one of my favorite uh, fictional artworks was hung in one of the restaurants in Harpers Ferry at one time, and it showed a tall ship coming up the Potomac River there, uh, right about where the bridge is in Harpers Ferry, which. Right not really possible because of great falls <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> but um so so you had so they built the the Sino canal which was very important for transporting any product that was made in shepherdstown or harper's ferry or martinsburg or anywhere um hancock maryland cumberland maryland to take it to, to dc to um ship it to wherever it needed to be to go to so it, it was very important um, not only for transportation, but for carrying product up and down um, the river uh, because you couldn't do it by boat. So, um, and then you had the little problem with flooding. Mm-hmm. And so on a, on a good day of a flood, you probably wiped out, you know, either the dam or the, or right. the part of the canal. Uh, same with the manufacturing in Harpers Ferry and along the river with with the paddle wheels and everything when you had a flood it put everybody out of commission for a while now with uh, the Potomac River it, it was important for a diff- many different reasons uh, I guess in terms of the Civil War now not only was it a transportation um, you know waterway it was also a barrier wasn't it how important was 
the Potomac River for, you know, uh, during the Civil War? Well, it's very important. Uh, what's interesting, and a lot of people don't know this, is that when you have a river as a dividing line between two, two states, you have to ask yourself, well, where is the actual line? Mm-hmm. When you go up and down 81 and you cross into Pennsylvania, there's kind of a sign there that tells you, welcome to Pennsylvania. Right. There, were, there were no signs there. So <clears throat> Potomac River is interesting because Maryland owns the Potomac River. Because if you are, uh, say, in Shepherdstown and you go on the riverbank there, you're still in West Virginia. But once you get into the water, I believe you're technically well, in Maryland, right? If you're standing on the banks of the river in Shepherdstown, and the river is very low. You're still in Maryland, really, because the the Maryland owns the river up to the high water mark. Hmm. Now, how did they get the? How they get that? How they make that that's, work? That's how it was <laughs> set up. But what was interesting is in uh, right after the Civil War, eighteen sixty nine, the the federal government decided that Harper's Ferry had which had not been in a commission to make guns at all during the Civil War because all the equipment had been taken out of there. They mm-hmm. decided that they were going to sell off the land there because it wasn't of any use for them uh, to make guns. So they sold it, and the guy never did anything with it, never paid him anything, and so they sold it again. And in 1884, they sold it to Thomas Savory, a, a man from Delaware, and he was going to build factories along both rivers. Right. Well, the federal government sold him the water rights to the Potomac River. All of it. Of the whole so, of that section. So of the river. if you wanted you and I wanted to build a factory down there, we had to pay Mr. Savory for the water that ran the the water wheels of our factory, but they didn't own the water. That's a pretty good so business how model. Could the, how could the federal government sell uh, the water that came out of the river that was owned by Maryland. Right. Yeah, so I just thought that was either a nice sleight of hand or a... It's pretty I, good. Yeah, I, I could never really figure out what <laughs> happened with that. So, so um, again, the, the boundaries were well-defined, but the soldiers didn't know that. And, and what happened right at the beginning of the war is the Confederates decided they would burn all the bridges on the Potomac River to slow down the Union Army. Right. Well, it slowed them down. It, it made them wade the river and drive their wagons and their horses through the river rather than going across the bridge. It didn't slow them down that much, but it, it was inconvenient. So when, when the Confederates marched from Williamsport to Martinsburg uh, at the beginning of the war, they waded the Potomac River at Williamsport. Now, and then, it, go ahead. Sorry. And then in 1863, when they were retreating from Gettysburg, they came to Williamsport again to wade the river, and they couldn't get across it because the river was at flood stage, and so they got boxed in by the river. The river was behind them. They couldn't go across it, and the Union Army um, attacked them at Williamsport, and they finally got away, and they finally got across the river. But So the river was a barrier the river was uh important for uh, commerce the canal they tried to put the canal out of business often they tried to blow up the bridges the bridges in harper's ferry were blown up seven eight times in the civil war so um 
you know, the, it was very important not only that you have the structures, but that the other side, you knew the other side was going to try to take them out. Yeah, it's uh, weird to think about it because um, I guess what I mainly think of when I think of, you know, war strategy and stuff is uh, World War II I guess strategies where you always heard him uh, bombing out, you know, roadways and railways right, and bridges sure. and stuff. And it's it's kind of nuts to think that you know all the way back then in Civil War that that same those same oh, yeah. you know tactics were happening right here. Well, it's, my, it's hard to picture it when my you're brother around. was a CB in the Vietnam War, and his job was to build bridges, and the Vietnamese would take the bridges out, and the U.S. Navy would build them back up. And now, is it also true? <clears throat> I heard a long time ago. That the Confederate soldiers, when they were on their way, I believe it was to Antietam, so crossing uh, the river into Maryland, that they threw their shoes into the river because if they didn't have shoes, then they couldn't fight. It was like part of their thing or something. So, they, so apparently all you saw were a bunch of Confederate soldiers chucking their uh, shoes into the river so they didn't have to go into battle. I never heard that, but it wouldn't surprise <laughs> me that uh, you that guys tried whatever they could to get out of fighting. Uh, so, in terms of the uh, railroad, the railroads here in the area, is it true? Because I'm still somewhat learning, you know, the uh, sure. local history and whatnot. Uh, the burning—it was essentially the burning of Martinsburg with the uh, train tracks and the railroad uh, that got kind of taken over, and that was Stonewall Jackson, right? Well, I guess not That's Stonewall right. then, but uh, General no, Jackson. It, it was um, May, May of 1861, beginning of the war. Jackson's men burned all the bridges. And then they decided um, part of their their fun activities for the day was <laughs> to go out and destroy the railroad. So they would pull up the rails, blow up the bridges, and do anything they could to um, keep the railroads from running. Now, the railroad's really interesting because the railroad was owned by the state of Maryland and the city of Baltimore. It was in Baltimore, Ohio, right? It was Baltimore, Ohio. It went from Baltimore to Wheeling, which is on the Ohio River, and that got you to Ohio. And um, so Jackson, that was Jackson's men's job every day to blow up the railroad. How, <laughs> how fun was that? Seriously. I mean, that had to be a, a riot. And so, um, so he tricked the railroad. Um, he kept shortening the time span that they he would allow the railroads to come through this area because he said it was bothering his men. They couldn't get any sleep because trains were coming in, blah, blah, blah. And so he kept narrowing the time frame. And then finally, he had all of the train locomotives and everything within Berkeley County mm -hmm. waiting to go either direction. And then he closed off the railroads behind him. And he captured all the trains. And the train locomotives, which were much smaller than most people would think they would have been mm -hmm. at the time, they actually took the rare the the metal railroad wheels off the the locomotives and put wagon wheels on them <laughs> and pulled them by horse by horses down to Winchester, and then later to Stanton, Virginia. Could you imagine seeing a bunch of trains on uh, wagon wheels down well, 11? Well, <laughs> and I think that would make a great movie. Yeah. I mean, you could use model models to, right. to pull it off with all of the graphics and everything, the technology we have today. But but that, again, that had to be fun. And, and, they, and there's a painting 
that shows the trains being pulled through Winchester, Virginia. And it was like a parade. People right. were watching them go down the road and there's 12 or 14 horses pulling this locomotive. And yeah, it was just kind of cool. Now, how many times did the railroad kind of change hands around here? Was it kind of Jackson came through, shut it all down, and that was it for you know a long well, time? Well, each, each side had had engineers that would come the next day and try to put the railroad back together. And so what they would do is they would take the rails and they would put them in the fire and melt the rail and bend them around a tree <laughs> so that you have you have the symbol for breast cancer. Well, right. that's what the rail looked like after it was bent wow. around the tree. And, and when it cooled off again, you couldn't, you couldn't use it. So right. they'd have to bring in new rails and new ties and whatever. And, and they would construct a bridge pretty quickly, but it wasn't real, <laughs> real sturdy, real sturdy. And so, um, that was happening, you know, regularly. And even toward the end of the war, the the Union Army wanted to cut off Lee's supplies because he knew he was running out of supplies, and mm -hmm. so they cut off the railroads. The railroads were bringing the supplies to the Confederates in the Richmond area, and and that's so that was one of their their plans was to take the railroads out. Again, we're speaking with uh, Bob O'Connor, local author and historian. Now we have to be getting to a break uh, here directly, uh, but it is crazy, you know. Listen to you talk about this kind of stuff and all, really the shenanigans that both uh, you know sides really did to one another, like wrapping you know ties around trees and whatnot. And it's crazy when you walk around town trying to picture that stuff happening, you know, oh, yeah. nowadays. But um, can you let everybody know before we go to break where they can uh, you know find some of your books? You got a lot of books out there and uh, some more information on you. Yeah, uh, my books are at um, the bookstore in um, Shepherdstown and also at Patterson's Drugstore, and, or you can get them off my website, which is www.boboconnerbooks.com. And you got uh, a relatively new one out, don't you? I always have a new one out. <laughs> <laughs> well, perfect. Again, we're speaking with Bob O'Connor, local author and historian. Thanks for stopping in uh, and chatting with us a little bit this morning. And when I'm walking the dog around downtown uh, this afternoon, I'll be uh, I'll make sure to go down by the roundhouse and whatnot and see if there's any remnants left of uh, maybe some railroad ties around a tree or something like that. There you go. <laughs> but stick around for more here on Panhandle Live on WEPM and WCST, the Panhandle News Network. Taking local stories and sharing them with the four state. This is Panhandle Live. Panhandle Live is brought to you by Sutton and Janelle Attorneys at Law. Welcome back to Panhandle Live, brought to you by Sutton and Janelle, full service law firms from West Virginia and Maryland, helping individuals, families, businesses with all of their legal needs. Make sure you're visiting their new historic location at 224 West King Street. You can always find them online at suttonandjanelle.com. I'm Jordan Ice Warner. Marsh has got the day off today. I think she'll be back on Monday. But if you missed it, before the break, we had local author and historian Bob O'Connor on to talk about the importance of the railways and the riverways, waterways, uh, here in the Panhandle during the Civil War, which I love when Bob comes in because, you know, you have the normal history people that kind of just tell you exactly how it was, the things pretty much everybody can find on their own, you know, uh, general knowledge, if you will. But Bob always brings something a little different uh, when he comes in to talk about local history. It makes me uh, definitely look around the town differently when I'm walking around the town. I was telling him uh, while he was um, heading out of the studio that I love finding out local 
history and you know local historical facts just because when you know the dog makes me get out of the house for the first time in you know however many hours after I get home uh, it's always fun to walk around and see you know houses that uh, would have witnessed you know the essentially the burning of Martinsburg by uh, Stonewall Jackson that are still there and somebody's in there watching TV watching baseball or something uh, which is always an interesting fact to me so make sure uh, you are checking out uh, that interview if you missed any of that again local historian Bob O'Connor uh, well author and historian and Bob O'Connor. You can listen back to that over on our Panhandle Live Facebook page. You can find his books uh, pretty much everywhere uh, at BobOConnorBooks.com, uh, all over the Panhandle area. So make sure you are checking that out. But coming up here after the break, uh, we have the fine folks from WVU Medicine East in to talk about uh, some of the new things they have going on. And I'll uh, have to ask them too. They might not have all the specifics, but I do believe that their uh, COVID protocols are getting uh, kind of locked up again over there. So we'll see uh, what all they have to say about that. But that's all coming up here in just a few minutes on Panhandle Live on WEPM and WCST, the Panhandle News Network. It's Panhandle Live on WEPM and WCST. Part of the Panhandle story for 75 years. Here are your hosts, Jordan Nicewarner and Marsha Kavalik. Welcome back to Panhandle Live, brought to you by Sutton and Janelle, full-service law firms from West Virginia and Maryland, helping individuals, families, businesses with all of their legal needs. Family law, criminal defense, DUI, personal injury, mediation, they provide legal counsel tailored to you. You can visit our new historic location in downtown Martinsburg at 224 West King Street. You can always find them online at suttonandjanelle.com. I'm Jordan Ice Warner. Uh, Marsha has the day off today. She'll be back on Monday, but if you missed it before the break, well, at the beginning of the show, we had local author and historian Bob O'Connor on to talk about the importance of the railways and the waterways here in the Panhandle during uh, the Civil War, which is always super interesting to me. So make sure you're listening back uh, to that over on our Panhandle Live Facebook page a little bit later on today. But joining me from uh, WVU Medicine East, hopefully I get your name right. He's tried to get me to practice it a little bit. I think I had it, Uh, but it's Dr. Thiaga Langham. That's right. Yes. Joining me in studio. How are you doing this morning? That wasn't too bad, was it? No, thanks, Jordan, for having me here. Absolutely. So uh, before we get into uh, the main topics of why you're here today, and that's uh, sleep disorders in older adults, I want to ask you, because you are over at the uh, hospital here, Berkeley Medical Center, how are things uh, kind of looking during uh, now that this second wave, third wave of COVID is kind of coming through? Yeah, so that's a great question. Uh Compared to the wave that we had back in January, this is very unique in that the case rise is pretty rapid. In our clinic itself, we're having a lot of uh, positive cases within the past week to week uh, and a half. Uh, and majority of them are in the younger population, uh, I would say, on average, below the ages of 60. Uh, most of the older adults are pretty much vaccinated, so we don't see much of those cases, but it's more in the younger cases. And the worrying thing is that the 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 speed at which these cases are going up is quite concerning. So um, that is a big difference from how we saw things in January. Yeah, as we were saying during the break, it seems like this one uh, is definitely different than you know the previous outbreaks or uh, waves. It seems like everything happens a lot quicker uh, with this one. Not only just the transmission, but it seems like people have that have caught this uh, Delta variant coronavirus um, have gotten sicker faster. That's than right. what they were. Yep, absolutely. And uh, there are rising cases in the hospital as well, both in the clinic and in the hospital. So, <sighs> yeah. 
man, right when you think that there's some somewhat of a light at the end of the tunnel, uh, it gets a little bit further away, it seems. Yeah, all and all uh, the medical societies and uh, CDC all recommend the vaccination is really the key to try to get over this battle. So if you are not vaccinated, we still recommend getting the vaccination. And if you still do have questions regarding whether you should get vaccinated or not, please speak with your doctors. Uh, don't uh, hesitate. We're here to answer all the questions. And uh, in, in fact, in our clinic, we even offer the vaccines now. So it's that easy to get it if you are uh, getting it. But it's an individual decision. But the recommendation is to still get it. Absolutely. And uh, as we kind of transition away from COVID uh, talks, I feel like that's all we really do uh, on here is talk about it. I mean, rightfully so, because it's uh, super important. But let's talk about uh, your you know, specialty area, and that's sleep disorders uh, in older adults. Now, is that one of the main, I guess, illnesses that you see in older adults? Because, uh, I mean, I'm gonna, I'm not an older adult, I guess you could say, but there, there is a pretty lengthy list of, you know, older adult health issues. And is that one of the main ones? Yeah, so... Uh I'm a physician that cares for older adults, so it's called a geriatrician. And uh, in our community specifically, uh, you might very well know the the average age is going up and uh, the percentage of older adults is rising. And uh, um, we treat for various different older adult-related uh, specific syndromes. This can be swallowing disorders. It can be sleep disorders. Could be depression. There's a, a, a huge host of uh, diseases and syndromes that are seen more in older adults. So we specialize in that care uh, at our clinic, and uh, I'm trained in that. So the training itself, um, it's about a year, one to two year training that specializes specifically for the care of older adults. So what are, I guess, some of the contributing factors uh, to, you know, a sleep disorder? Um, I guess there are many things, but what are some of the main ones uh, that you, you know, see out there? Yeah, so great question. So when we look about, when we talk about sleep, sleep uh, itself in older adults, uh, first to define it, sleep is where one would not be satisfied with the quantity or the quality of their uh, sleep. And uh, specifically, uh, there's increased morning awakenings and not enough hours of sleep, more nighttime awakenings and um, not being able to fall asleep. So all these fall under the category of what we would call insomnia, mm -hmm. where it's uh, difficulty with sleep. Now, when we talk about sleep, uh, what are the contributing factors? Sleep itself can be caused by uh, a disease process of the brain it's in and of itself or it could be contributed by secondary causes so when we talk about that we mean patients who have certain medical conditions like sleep apnea i mean mm -hmm. in simplest terms that would be where people you know you would know if someone near you snores they're at risk of having sleep apnea and that essentially means that you're not getting enough oxygen and that can right. impact sleep uh, just like that there's a variety of diseases that can cause that uh, depression for example can contribute and then, and then that's one cause. And then uh, another cause, as I mentioned, is the disease itself you can have without any other reasons. And then the third is medications. Certain medications can cause you to have impaired sleep. So uh, multiple factors. Um, but when you talk with a doctor, they can analyze it and figure out are there are these causes contributing or not. And I feel like because uh, I have, I guess I consistently deal with sleep issues. I would contribute that to the job because of the early mornings and things like that. Um, now, a lot of people, they wouldn't, you know, go to the doctor. Like, I would have never thought to go to the doctor for any of these reasons. I would just uh, maybe do the wrong thing, which is what I'm asking you, if this is the wrong thing, like taking, you know, NyQuil or um, 
uh, what is it? Uh, not serotonin. That's to wake you up. Melatonin. Melatonin. Thank you. Um, <laughs> melatonin, things like that. Now, those are, I mean, they'll put you to sleep, but you're still not getting, you know, appropriate sleep, right? Yeah. So uh, the first part of your question regarding uh, stress. So, yeah, stress contributes. Pain can contribute. Uh, waking up at night to pee often, that can all contribute. So those are precipitating factors for uh, insomnia. Uh, and then the second part of your question regarding medications. Yeah, uh, medications is one option. Uh, but really the first line treatment is a non-medication approach. So there are behavioral therapists who are trained to uh, help patients understand the misbeliefs regarding uh, how they should sleep, why they should sleep. And they train, uh, there's specific training that goes through with the therapist and the patient about how to tackle that without medications. It's actually pretty successful. It mm-hmm. has, uh, uh, it does uh, improve the sleep efficiency. Um, it's, a, it's a whole different topic to talk about, but one particular example would be uh, called sleep restriction, where the therapist trains the patient to reduce the number of hours of sleep. And then during those hours, their sleep improves. And as their sleep improves, the number of hours is gradually increased. And so there's a variety of different uh, methodologies, but they're actually pretty effective. The only challenge is that in this community, uh, and even in many communities, getting trained uh, therapists in that is difficult. So we end up pursuing medications. Now, when we, when we look at medications, you mentioned a few examples. So melatonin is used. Um, NyQuil is also used. Mm-hmm. Those are very common, but uh, NyQuil in particular is not the best option for older oh, adults. They, well, okay, for older adults, okay, that's not what I need you to say. <laughs> yeah, so for older adults specifically, it's not the best option because it does have a chemical called diphenhydramine, uh, also known as Benadryl, um, mm-hmm. which could cause confusion, increased bladder, urinary retention. So it has side effects. Speak to your doctor. There are uh, like five or six different groups of medications that we prescribe um, if the sort of non-medication approach fails. Hmm. Again, we're speaking yeah. with Dr. T. Is it cool? I was cool to call you Dr. T. Yeah, that's what they, they call me in the clinic. <laughs> I was going to say, I think I might have said your name correctly the first time. I don't yeah. want to, uh, you know, go too deep and try again and then butcher it somewhere down the line. Uh, again, speaking with Dr. T from WVU Medicine, talking about uh, sleep disorders in older adults. So uh, can there's a lot of technology out there now that uh, you can, you know, track your sleep. When I have a band on here that one of the main aspects of it is to track sleep. Now, those, I feel like they can get pretty... I guess, in the weeds with different, you know, data that it's giving you and whatnot. But are they still, um, you know, your Fitbits, your Apple Watches and stuff, are they good uh, to wear to track, you know, sleep and see what kind of sleep you are getting? Yeah, so that's a great question. So there are technology devices that we do use to help track sleep. Uh, one being uh, what you mentioned, which is uh, in the technical term is called wrist actigraphy. Mm-hmm. Uh, it basically checks to see how long you're awake and how long you're asleep based on your body movement. Um, A lot of times, most devices are not uh, accurate, but they can give a ballpark of how your sleep is. And so sharing that with your doctor is definitely helpful because it can help uh, rule in and rule out certain sleep disorders. So, uh, you know, I talked about insomnia as a general term, but there's so many different uh, types of sleep disorders. Um, For example, there are things that affect you, uh, like, you, you know, call restless leg syndrome or uh, periodic leg movement uh, disorders or um, sleep apnea, all these contribute to uh, uh, leading to insomnia. So uh, these sort of tests like the wrist actigraphy or even something called polysomnography, also known as sleep 
study mm-hmm, where you mm-hmm. go to the hospital and you have a sleep study. All these tests are, or technologies we do use to help diagnose sleep disorders. Have you uh, personally taken part in any of those sleep studies? I did not, uh, but uh, it, it can be inconvenient to do it in the hospital, which is why now there's also a home sleep study. So if the doctor suspects that your sleep issues or your lack of being fresh in the morning is due to sleep apnea, for example, then you can do this test at home and we can test to find out whether you have it or not. So it's pretty convenient. Yeah, I've seen videos and pictures of people, you know, in the the room with the bed, the big, you know, medical room with the bed yeah. and everything wired up. And I always think there is no way I would be able to fall asleep with all that stuff <laughs> on me and knowing all these people are looking at me. Yeah, it, it is tough. It is tough. Some patients do con- uh, convey those concerns, but uh, it's what we have right now. Yeah. Perfect. Again, talking uh, with Dr. T from WVU Medicine East at the Berkeley Medical Center. Now, you uh, spoke about sleep apnea. Now, I know a ton of people, it seems, with sleep apnea, and they have the masks and things that they'll wear. Uh, and they, it all started because they were heavy snorers. Now, I have unfortunately been pegged as someone that is a heavy snorer. I've been told multiple times by different people, um, aggressively, too, multiple times. Uh, but is that a main sign that you could have sleep apnea? Is that like a uh, uh, gateway to sleep apnea? Uh, yeah, that's a, that's a great clue. Um, yeah. So if you do snore at night or if your loved ones or a caregiver notices that you're snoring, it's actually good to let the doctor know because we do have specific screening questions that we go through. And if you're positive for that, then you are going to be referred for testing. Um, even if you're not positive and there's a strong sp- suspicion of it, uh, then we do test you. Because the concern with sleep apnea is that not only does it impair your sleep, but it also affects the blood flow through your lungs and heart. And in the long term, it can actually lead to uh, devastating consequences. So treating mm-hmm. it is important. Um, there's actually, uh, you know, a lot of patients do say that, you know, wearing the mask at night is very hard. And some people do really well. But those who have a difficult time wearing it, there's actually a new technology that just came out in the past few years called um, uh, one company that does it is called Inspire. Mm-hmm. It's basically an implantable device like a pacemaker uh, that stimulates the neck muscles to help you uh, um, improve your sleep from by not snoring. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, the people, some of the people I know that have worn the, or that wear the sleep apnea mask say that they, the first time they wore it, it took them a little, of course, time to get used to it. But once they got used to it, they had like the best sleep of their life. So maybe I'll have to get one of those one of these days. <laughs> Again, speaking with Dr. T from WVU Medicine East, Berkeley Medical Center. Uh, before we let you go, uh, let's hear a little bit about yourself, uh, your background. I saw you went to uh, WVU and did some studying there. So uh, can you let people kind of know about yourself a little bit? Yes. It's always a tough uh, question. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, that, that's not a problem. So I'm originally from Canada. Mm-hmm. I, um, I was born and raised there. I studied at University of Waterloo for my undergraduate I did my medical school training at St. George's University, and then subsequently uh, in the U.S., I did uh, my internal medicine uh, specialty training at uh, Rutgers University uh, in New Jersey, and thereafter, I did my geriatric specialty training at uh, the Mayo Clinic, Um, and now um, I've been here for uh, over a year now, and uh, uh, at the geriatrics clinic at WVU Internal Medicine Associates. Wow, so you've been all over the place. Now, are you uh, Toronto side of Canada or Vancouver side of Canada? I'm Toronto side of Canada. So you're Rap- you Raptors fan? <laughs> I'm a Raptors fan, yeah. Oh, yep. my. I'm a Knicks fan, you're unfortunately. Knicks fan? <laughs> Although, hey, Kemba Walker on the team now makes me feel a lot better about things. Yeah. <laughs> Again, speaking with Dr. T from WVU Medicine East, uh, Berkeley Medical Center. Thanks for stopping in and uh, chatting with us a little bit. I feel like sleep is one of those uh, topics that doesn't get spoken about a lot, but it is, you know, one of the critical, you know, life 
things that we have to do every day. So if you're not getting great sleep, it affects everything down the line. Yeah, no, it's a disease that it's very prevalent in older adults, over 30% uh, prevalence. And uh, please, if you are concerned about your sleep, please discuss it with your doctor. Absolutely. And thanks for stomping in and stick around for more here on Panhandle Live on WEPM and WCST, the Panhandle News Network. It's Panhandle Live, the voice of the Panhandle. Here are your hosts, Jordan Nicewarner and Marsha Kavalik. Welcome back to Panhandle Live, brought to you by Sutton & Janelle, full-service law firm from West Virginia and Maryland, having individuals, families, businesses with all of their legal needs. You can visit their new historic location at 224 West King Street in downtown Martinsburg. You can always find them online at suttonandjanelle.com. I'm Jordan Ice Warner. Uh, Marsha's got the day off today. And if you missed any of the show so far, you can listen back to it over on our Panhandle Live Facebook page. We had uh, local author and historian Bob O'Connor on to talk about the importance of the railroad and rivers and waterways in the uh, Panhandle during the Civil War. And uh, also, we had Dr. T. I'm not going to try and say his name again because I got it right the first time and uh, I don't want to jinx myself. So Dr. T uh, joined us to talk about... um, uh, sleep disorders in older adults, which sleeping is important to everyone. I know personally, I'm an awful sleeper, uh, except for naps. I can take a nap anywhere, but when it comes to uh, you know sleeping for the night, awful at it. But uh, it's important, especially in older adults. Uh, and he spoke uh, in great depth about that. So make sure you're listening back to that over on our Panhandle Live Facebook page. But uh, before we get out of here for today, I want to talk to you about the Jefferson County Fair because that is coming up uh, this weekend. Starts on uh, this Saturday, August 21st and goes all the way to the 29th. Now, we had uh, Todd Wilt, the manager for the Jefferson County Fair, on uh, last week to talk about the Jefferson County Fair. Now, I might have to cut this short uh, here before we have to you know, hit the top of the hour, but uh, this was our conversation about the Jefferson County Fair. Joining us is Jefferson County Fair manager Todd Wilt. How are you doing this morning? I'm doing great. How are you? So, uh, I guess... We'll just get right into it. Uh, how's it looking for the fair? I'm looking at the yeah. schedule, and it is jam-packed. So uh, what are some of the big things to look forward to yeah. this year? Yeah, well, we are thrilled. We are thrilled to be back. Um, you know, all of uh, all the fairs in the area didn't happen last year, so there's uh, a- an immense amount of excitement, uh, both from our volunteers to put the fair together and, and from the public. You know, we're right. hearing them on our social media pages and in other places, and, uh, you know, everybody is really pumped up for the fair. Um, this year's Jefferson County Fair, you know, our schedule is uh, pretty consistent with what we've done in a lot of uh, past years. Uh, a few new events here and there. Um, we've got uh, a few new motorsports events. We have a few new food vendors, you know, always try to cycle a few things in and out to keep things fresh. But mm-hmm. um, but yeah, excitement is uh, is really building quickly and uh, it's right around the corner. And it's more than just, and I, I drove by yesterday and saw the, I, I think it's the Ferris wheel, the <laughs> tallest thing that was there. And I was like, oh, did I miss this? <laughs> and I remembered we're having them on this week and it, everything's just kind of getting set up. And a lot of people do come for the, the fun stuff, the carnival, but it's also a chance for folks in the community to show off what they've done in our, you know, agrarian roots, the livestock, all the, the beautiful the canned goods, the uh, baked goods, all of that stuff. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, as, as a manager of the fair, I get to see everything, right? And it's, and it's always really interesting to me uh, to see 
how the fair is something different for so many people, right? right? Some people just know the carnival. Some people just know the livestock. Some people just know the motorsports. Some people just know the entertainment. And mm-hmm. and to see how important it is to all those people and to see it all come together, you know, it's a great opportunity for our community to to mesh and blend and uh, bring the community together like, like few other events in the region. So how has the planning been for this fair? I know, as everyone knows, we've had, uh, well, really a break in all of life for the last almost two years now. So how has it been kind of, I guess, navigating the, as Marcia said, the new normal uh, that we're living in now, especially getting this fair up and running for this year? Yeah, a, a bit of a roller coaster for sure. Um, you know, I think we we went through some periods where it was still even questionable whether we were going to get to have these events this year. Wow. And um and then everything looked pretty good. And now, you know, uh, I think we're, we're a little nervous in some ways as we watch everything. We're in constant communication with some of the health officials in the county and uh, throughout the state. And, you know, we're kind of got our thumb on the pulse. And, you know, we want to be a positive impact to the community and certainly not a negative impact. So we're watching those things very closely. And, you know, we've ad- added a couple health and safety protocols to our fair and um, so yeah, we're we're really excited. We think we can pull it off. You know, it's open air, it's outside. Right, right. the fairgrounds right. are huge. Yeah, so you've got absolutely. a lot of place to social distance. I know you're limited where you put the exhibit barns and mm-hmm. you know but where the livestock then, are. Still, but everything's pretty open big air. areas. Yeah. 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 Open yeah. air. Again, that was a little bit of our conversation last week with Todd Will from the uh, Jefferson County Fair, which is getting started this Saturday. And I'm looking through a little bit of the uh, schedule of events for the Jefferson County Fair this year. And Wednesday Goodness, Wednesday seems to be a pretty big day. You got the ice cream eating competition. You got a milk drinking drinking contest, which, look, I uh, love all you know milk and milk byproducts, cheese and whatnot. But a milk drinking competition sounds like a stomach ache uh, waiting in the wings for that one. But also, you have some music, live music. You got Way Jennings that's going to be performing, uh, and all kinds of other. You got uh, on Sunday burnout competition. Of course, you got demolition derbies going on, and of course the carnival which everybody's going to be excited about. But that's all going on at the Jefferson County Fair, which is getting started this Saturday and goes all the way through August the 29th. So, uh, yeah, if you're looking for something to do in the next couple of days for for the next uh, week or so, looks like the Jefferson County Fair is going to be uh, the place to be. Hopefully the rain holds off. Hopefully it's not 115 degrees like it has been when it's not raining. But luckily, we did get that rain yesterday because we certainly needed it. Uh, luckily, I don't have to, uh, you know, mow grass or anything. So uh, I'm sure those who did are going to have a busy next couple of days with all that rain. But uh, this is it for Panhandle Live on WEPM and WCST, the Panhandle News Network. If you missed any of it, you can always listen back to it over on our Panhandle Live Facebook page. Uh, that'll be up a little bit later on today. We had Bob O'Connor, a local author and historian on, and also Dr. T from WVU Medicine East Berkeley Medical Center to talk about adult sleep disorders. Very interesting stuff on a... Thursday, but uh, yeah, that's it. Talk to you tomorrow. WCST Berkeley Springs. This is the Panhandle News Network, a West Virginia Radio Corporation station.